last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. It's an exciting time of year. Spring is fully sprung, and there are a lot of sports happening around the Washington, D.C. area. We got playoff hockey coming up, playoff basketball around the corner. Uh, baseball, of course, is in full swing. We have the NFL schedule being released later tonight. A lot is going on, and we are happy to bring you some of the best Nationals coverage in town right here on the Mass and All Access podcast. Hello, everyone. Bobby Blanco here, soon to be joined by Amy Jennings. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you're tuning in live on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter at Mass and Nationals across the board right there on all of our channels and pages on social media. And if not, maybe you're checking us out after the fact on uh, your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. Hopefully you find the Mass and All Access podcast. Let's bring in Amy right now, who is joining us from a different set this time, a uh, different setup this time. Amy, how is it going? Oh, it's going, Bobby. It's a little <laughs> different today. It's been a crazy day. My day started um, at 3 a.m. Uh, trying to go to work, and my car wouldn't start. Oh, boy. Um, so it was just a really, really good start to the day. But we're, we're ending on a positive note here with all of you uh, in this podcast. How's your day going? I hope it's a little bit better than it, mine. Yeah, it's a little bit better. Uh, for those who don't know, Amy, of course, uh, does some part-time work up in uh, Baltimore for uh, the local news station up there. So she has some early mornings. This is <laughs> We try to work around her schedule as best we can. The car stuff, man, that is that is absolutely brutal, especially that time of night. I mean, how who do you right. contact? I had, right, it was my work car. So thankfully, oh, I gosh. had to move all my stuff into my personal car, and that worked out. But at 3 a.m., there's not a whole lot you can do. Nobody there to help jump me, anything like that. But oh. we made it work. And here we are. Made it through the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I like it. I mean, it's kind of nice that you end your day doing the podcast. You can hop on, have some fun, talk some baseball. And then uh, you probably can just kind of relax and and head off to an early night's sleep. Um, But my, yeah, my day's been fine. You know, every single time I dress up according to the weather, it was gray all morning. That's why I'm wearing black. It seems like you did have the same idea. You're wearing black as well. And, of course, as soon as we start the podcast, the sun comes out. So it starts to light up the room a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. I got a nice big old piece of pork in the crock pot for dinner tonight. Going to have some leftovers for the game tonight. Uh, The Nationals take on the Phillies. Maybe some uh, snacking tomorrow afternoon for the afternoon game. And then kind of just setting up. So, you know, today's hump day hasn't been all, all too bad. Good, Bobby. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm impressed with the crock pot. I'll be the first to admit, I never used a crock pot. So that's pretty impressive on your end. <laughs> it's not, it, you know what? It's super easy. It, my favorite thing is the crock pot because all you literally do is you just prep whatever you want. You throw it in there, you turn it on, and then you leave it alone for five to six hours. And then and it's done. That's, it's the I, I highly recommend investing in one, especially with like your line of work. When you have like a lot of stuff going True. on early, you know, if you are just right before you get home, and you want to throw it in the crock pot, and then you take your little nap uh, after your early morning, and then when you wake up, not only does your food ready, but your house smells like it, and it smells delicious. That's true. So there you go, everybody at home, throw your food in the crock pot. Join us live yeah. for this podcast, and then it'll be ready later this evening when you go to get it. <laughs> yeah, try a new pork loin recipe today. So I'm excited about that. Hopefully, some good eats for tonight's game. Well, like I said, I mean, we're talking a baseball here. We're gonna get a lot, a lot to get to, of course. Uh, Nationals great Jordan Zimmerman retired yesterday. We're going to get into that a little bit later. We'll hear from Jordan from his press conference uh, with, um, obviously, Milwaukee media, Detroit media, and local media here from D.C. Uh, It was a pretty emotional day for him. We'll get into that later and go through all the accolades. We'll watch some of the highlights uh, from his no-hitter, of course, the first one in Nationals history. But, you know, first and foremost, of course, we got to talk about the team right now as it stands. And, And, Amy, like, it's to me, it's... Oh boy, this has been a roller coaster of a, of a couple of weeks right here. This is why I titled the podcast "Roller Coaster" first start of the season. It seems like two weeks ago we were talking about you know the rough week they just had, and then last week we talked about how well they bounced back. They only lost one game between those two episodes. This week, uh, no, sorry, they only lost one game between those two episodes. This week they've only won one game between episodes. It's been a real up and down start to the season for this team, and they just can't find any consistency. 
Right. That's exactly it. It has been a roller coaster for sure. And it's not just that they're winning a lot of games here, losing a lot of games here. It's also that there's inconsistency in what's going right and what's going wrong. I mean, the first two, three weeks ago, we were talking about how bad the starting pitching uh, uh, got off to the start of the season. Then we talked about how much that improved. Uh, we talked about how the bullpen was really shining and not an issue. Like uh, some people might have thought despite the injuries. And now we're going to be talking about how the bullpen has come up quite short over the last few series. And then we were talking about how Josh Bell finally was getting going last week. And now not so much. So it's so much up and down, so much inconsistency in who is performing, what groups of the roster are performing. Um, and hopefully everything can click here soon because we know that's what it takes to win games. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, we talked about before, you're not going to get every aspect of the roster hitting on all cylinders every single night. That's just not the way the sport works, or any sport, really. You know, you have to fight and grind through different aspects of team guys not, you know, living up every single night. Some guys are going to have to pick up other parts of the team. You're starting a pitching, your offense, your bullpen, defense, whatever it may be. Uh, and, And they're just not getting that consistently enough, though. You know, for the most part, we're getting... Good starting pitching. Of course, you have Max Scherzer, right, who's been absolutely incredible over his last two starts. A complete gamer, a 14-strikeout performance against the Yankees. Um, But the bullpen, like you mentioned, has been solid for the most part. It had a little scuffle up in New York over the weekend. Lineup has been really inconsistent. Sometimes they explode for 11 runs or 12 runs like they did on Friday night, or sometimes they get held to one or two like they have the past couple of nights, um, you know, last night against Philly, uh, Saturday and Sunday against the Yankees. Uh, it, it's uh, To me, it's just right now the lineup is the one part that is not getting the most consistent production. Amy, if you were to pick one part, like what aspect of this roster of this team would you want to see be more consistent? Pick any single one. Like we, we know that they, as a whole, have not been very consistent uh, altogether. But if you wanted to pick one aspect of this roster of this team to be more consistent uh, in terms of high level production, which one would you pick? I think you just said it. It's the offense. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And their offense not performing has caused such a trickle down effect. I mean, granted, the bullpen should be. Uh, your most reliable pitchers and arguably your the most reliable guys on your entire roster. Um, but if you don't put them in those positions, one run games, uh, tie games, then, you know, it, it doesn't really matter so much. Or you're not really worried about Josh Bell coming up and striking out with two outs, bases loaded in the the seventh if you give yourself a little bit of cushion getting ahead early and they have not been able to do that this entire season outside of those few rarities and the 11 run games so on and so forth so it's this offense they have to get things going they have to be consistent it can't be an 11 run game here and then they're getting shut out here or only scoring one run or it's you know you give your bullpen just a one run lead to play with every single night uh, so it's so important that this offense gets going and and consistently and it's that middle of the lineup that's really, really struggling, especially in Josh Bell. I mean, we saw him hit in the three hole last night, which I'm not really sure the explanation behind that. Uh, and we can kind of get get into that, but he's hitting like 140 something, hitting in the three hole. And while Juan Soto and Trey Turner are again this year being the only reliable hitters so far, uh, it's really hard that when that middle of the lineup isn't driving them, isn't getting on base period. Uh, and, and that really has a trickle down effect entirely, because just like you said, the starting pitching has really been a bright spot. I mean, they couldn't ask more out of these guys stepping up and Joe Ross, even Eric Fetty, who shouldn't even really be in this rotation at this point. Uh, so those guys are all stepping up, uh, but you can't accept them to pitch shutouts every single night. So this offense has to get something going. Would you agree? Yeah, I, that's, I think that's the easy answer. Right now, when I came up with this question, it was a little more uh, maybe a little more difficult to answer more fun topic to go back and forth over the weekend because we just saw the bullpen kind of scuffle for the first time. Um, you know, Patrick Corbin had a, a decent outing. I think he technically had a quality start. Joe Ross kind of labored through his outing. Uh, Eric Fetty last night saying that, you know, he kind of grinded through his. So the starting pitching outside of Max hasn't been as the consistent level that we would expect from a national starting rotation, right? But right now, the day as it stands, over the past three games, they've scored – what is it, uh, two, two, and three runs. Um, so a collective of seven runs over the last three games when they scored 11 last Friday. Uh, they only scored collectively six runs against the Braves when they got swept last week, uh, when the last time we talked. So they're not scoring runs consistently, and I think you pointed it out. Josh Bell has to be one of those guys that we talk about more consistently. And, you know, don't want to point the finger too much, right? He, he can't shoulder all the blame for this. But I think when you have a guy 
who was tabbed as the biggest offseason acquisition. Uh, you know, they traded for him on Christmas Eve. He was the guy that was supposed to provide protection for Juan Soto. You're starting everyday first baseman for the next couple of years, probably as well. Um, and then he comes in. You no, know, look, we know we he had a slow start because of the COVID outbreak. Kyle Schwarber did the same thing, and we've seen Kyle Schwarber kind of take a turn for the best right now. He's hitting a little better over the course of the week, but you know, since hitting his home run early in the game on Friday, Josh Bell is one for seventeen over his last. Was it three games Saturday, Sunday, and now last night? Um, and and he struck out nine times versus just no walk, so he's not even getting on base like we saw earlier in the season. And he's coming up in big spots. You mentioned him hitting third last night. I don't think the Nationals that has to be a one and done, right? I mean, yes, I, I get the preseason, uh, not preseason, uh, pregame specifically Tuesday night, kind of thinking that he has good numbers against Anderson, the Philly starter last night. Uh, from their times that they saw each other in the NL East, but uh, sorry, NL Central. But you know, you can't let him figure it out, Josh Bell. That is, while hitting third, you need him to. If he can't figure it out while he's hitting sixth or seventh or fifth in this lineup, he can't be the one. He can't try to figure out why you're hitting third. That's just too important of a batting position for right now. And it, and it showed late last night. Bases loaded. Who came up to bat because he was hitting third? Josh Bell. And he struck out. And he struck out on four pitches. And pretty badly, too. And so, again, not trying to point all the fingers on Josh Bell. But the way he's going right now, it's just you need more production right now. I think you need to slot someone else in the leadoff spot so you can knock Trey Turner and Juan Soto further down the lineup and try to get more production. And if Josh Bell's going to play, let him play while batting sixth or seventh further down the lineup. And once he starts figuring it out then... That length in the lineup, all right, then you can kind of maybe consider moving up a little bit more. But until then, he can't hit that high in the lineup because that's that's killing this offense right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I really don't know at what point you pull the plug on him. I mean, obviously, he has to be in there to get better. I mean, at this point, you can't bench him and expect him to get better, expect him to start hitting. But at some point, it's it's going to be a tough decision because Ryan Zimmerman is is hitting and we see just all over the over the last couple of days coming off the bench coming in getting key hits key rbis um and josh bell's also coming up in key positions obviously naturally in that three hole and he's not producing uh we saw that over the weekend like i mentioned base is loaded you have a two-out rally going on and he strikes out uh that's going to happen you're going to come up and key positions and come up short, but it seems like it's happening so often um, uh, for Josh Bell. So I don't know at what point you pull the plug. You certainly have to move him uh, down the lineup while you try to get him as many at-bats as you can and try to work some things out there. But hitting in that three-hole, I mean, I totally get you have Trey Turner and Juan Soto at the top of your lineup. That only works if you have guys behind them to to drive them in. If they get on base, they could – come up a hundred times a game uh, but if there's nobody there to drive them in they're getting on base then it really doesn't matter uh so you certainly have to bump them down and i think they have some options i mean i wouldn't be afraid to try victor robles back in that leadoff spot even josh harrison i mean he had a bad last series but he's really been hitting he has obviously had a great start to the season uh one better than pretty much anybody else in this lineup so maybe you try him out there uh, but I would imagine that's a one and done for uh, uh, Josh Bell in that three one. Obviously, it's not all him. Uh, you can't put the whole offensive production on one guy. Um, but he seems to be the one that's not coming up big in key positions and it's killing them. And at some point when it's affecting the, the way that the season is headed, uh, they're going to have to do something about that. And they do have a good backup option, Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah. Um, it's just hard to tell how many days he can play in a row, how much he can take. So you hopefully something can can balance out there you you nailed the head uh you hit, hit the nail on the head right there in terms of the names that i was going to bring up too and josh bell and victor robles and look i mean we've talked about it especially in spring training and in the off season how much victor robles probably needs to lead off more and it was just it's kind of bizarre because we saw him do it a handful of times earlier in the season and then i know the roster crunch in terms of the COVID outbreak made kind of force the issue but then we just saw him kind of go away from it, and he was hitting more ninth or the days not even playing at all or start in the starting lineup at all. And, look, I mean, we know the numbers over his career, and you look at it this year so far, in nine games leading off, he's hitting 226 versus 208 when he's batting ninth. Not that big of a difference. But then you look at the on-base percentage, he's a 368 on-base when he leads off and then a 269 on-base when he's hitting ninth. So that's almost a 100-point difference right there. Um, it's that in terms of him getting on base. And if 
he's the one leading off, and Trey Turner's hitting second, and Juan Soto's hitting third. Last night could have ended very differently, and that was a huge point in the game. It was only a one-run game at that point, and all the Nationals needed was one knock, and they could have at least tied the game, if not taking the lead uh, right there. And and you want Juan Soto in that spot right there instead of a, a laboring, struggling Josh Bell, which is what we saw. So I, I don't under, I would imagine when you've lost five of your last six and you're not scoring runs aside from Friday, I would imagine you're, we're going to see a little more tweaks to the lineup. You know, Davey can't, I, I would think, you know, you can't, I get the idea that it's baseball. You need to go in and try to get consistency and, and you know, uh, there's a routine to it uh, and you just got to kind of make it, try to make it work as much as you can, but you also need to shake it up at some point. And I would not be surprised if we saw like Robles or Josh Harrison uh, hitting in that leadoff spot tonight against the Phillies and that bumps Juan Soto down to third and Trey Turner hitting second because that spot could very well come up again tonight. And again, you want uh, Juan Soto in that spot instead of Josh Bell. Uh, uh, and maybe you even see Ryan, you mentioned Ryan Zim. Maybe you even see Zim starting at first. Uh, I, I think the Phillies are throwing all right-handers this week. So, you know, obviously you maybe want a lefty in Josh Bell. But, I mean, Zim has proven that he can hit. I mean, he that bat hasn't gone anywhere with his time off. So you might want to try to get him at first base a little more often. Not that sitting Josh Bell, you know, helps him anyway because it takes reps away. But, you know, if you're looking to win games and score runs, Zimmerman and uh, someone else hitting leadoff might be your best option. I think that's a really good point. And if I was Davey Martinez, without a doubt, Ryan Zimmerman is getting the start tonight. And it's not that Davey hasn't um, mixed up this lineup a whole lot. In fact, almost every night, it seems like we're getting a little bit of a, a mix up in there. But you certainly don't shake it up and move Josh Bell up. Uh, I certainly don't think that's the answer. So I think we're going to see that change, maybe even permanently bumping him down until he gets things going. Um, and, and the the key thing for me is that they're not scoring runs early. Even if they're scoring runs, they're still putting their bullpen, they're still putting even their starting pitching in such a bind. I mean, in 35% of their games so far this season, they've gone scoreless into the sixth inning. Um, that's not really great. And in a, a, it, with injured pitchers, uh, you want to get them starting pitchers. You want to get them as much run support as possible. And then, of course, your bullpen. I mean, we saw two bad outings from Brad Hand this weekend. Uh, just last night, they gave up those. Kyle Finnegan gave up all of those runs, three runs in the eighth. I mean, you're putting them in a bad position. Granted, they have to be reliable, and their literal job is to hold the game um and and give your chance a team to win but the offense has to get that done they have to win and you have to score runs to win games especially with a lot of big bats just just around the nl east yeah and and i i think look brad hand and if we're talking about the bullpen right now yes he struggled this weekend but also keep in mind that before saturday he had not given up a run in all of his outings uh, until, you know, he obviously had his struggles against the Yankees on Saturday and Sunday. And, I, I mean, I get it. People were complaining that, especially on Sunday, why would you throw him back in it after he just struggled on Saturday night? Pitch, I mean, relievers, maybe more than anyone, are, are creatures of habit, and they and they want to get back out there no matter what. Win or lose, good outing versus bad outing, they want to be back in there and, and providing for this team. And, and they have to have the shortest memory on the team, right? You have a bad outing on Saturday. Brad Hen has to get back in there on Sunday. And he's your guy. He, You brought him in here to be the closer this year. Uh, so you could have Daniel Hudson and Will Harris more comfortable in their setup roles. Um, I just think with, when it comes to when it comes to Brad Hand, you know, maybe it's an issue of him not pitching enough, right? He hasn't had that many outings this year compared to some other relievers that we've seen. He's only pitched 11 games. You see Kyle Finnegan's pitched 16, Sam Clay 12, Wander Suero was on pace to pitch all 30 games so far. Uh, Tanner Rainey's pitched 13. Daniel Hudson only has 10, and Brad Hand only has 11 right now. So maybe it's a, a thing where even in games that you know, you wouldn't typically bring in your closer. You need to give Brad Hand a shot, a Daniel Hudson a shot, just so they stay fresh, they stay in a rhythm. Uh, because I think, you know, you saw on Saturday and Sunday, and also it was cold up there, it was rainy, that's fine. But maybe you just need them being a little more consistently out of the bullpen and, and getting some uh, some more reps in because they're creatures of habit. They need to be more on a tight schedule. And he's your closer. You can't afford him to be cold when you need him the most. 
No, I agree with you there. I mean, and you put him back out there so he gets that bad taste out of his mouth, right? You don't want that in your reliever. You want them to have a short-term memory, get back out there and have a better outing. Fortunately for him, that wasn't the case. Um, and it seems like leadoff walks is what's really killing him. Um, but the thing that's so interesting about that is at the beginning of the season, headed in this or in, during spring training, Davey Martinez said that he's not necessarily our closer. All of these guys need to be able to be ready in any situation, in any inning. And now it seems like he's really only getting that opportunity and save opportunities as a closer would. Uh, so that's what's so interesting. And I think that's why he's not pitching a whole lot and why he has so many less outings and innings than all of these other guys, because Davey Martinez seems like he is slotting a definite role for him, uh, whether that's going to be true moving forward, because, you know, you put him, he has a bad outing, a bad two innings um, against the Yankees. You bring him back out on Sunday against the Yankees in another bad outing. Maybe now you have a little bit of something to worry about with Brad Ham, but it's kind of hard to tell at this point. But uh, it certainly seems like they're slotting him in that specific role. Um, and I, I, we wouldn't have expected that. And I don't think he expected that going into this season. Yeah. And I mean, and David Martinez said in spring training that like he wasn't defining any one role. Then Daniel, we heard Daniel Hudson talk about you know, this bullpen is full of guys who don't need a specific role, right? They they are comfortable to go out there and pitch whenever they're called upon. So maybe, yeah, maybe Davey needs to kind of loosen up that hold he has on the bullpen and, and kind of give Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson and Will Harris, now that he's back, a little more time um, uh, to, to to get some reps in and, right, you know, and pitch more. Because uh, other than that, we're just seeing them what's – you know, with 11 games out of you know every third day, that just might not be enough for Brad Hand, someone who's used to, you know, pitching a lot of innings. We talked about when they signed him how much his durability is one of the biggest keys to they signed him. He can give you 60-plus innings a season uh, and while also leading the league in saves. So, uh, you know, I know there's not a lot of save opportunities right now, you know, when you're a couple games under 500, but when they come, you don't want a rusty, cold Brad Hand going out there trying to seal a very precious win when you have very few. You want him to stay fresh. And and also, on the flip side, give some of these other guys a break. Kyle Finnegan doesn't need to be pitching in 16 games already, right? Wander Suero, if he weren't injured, and, and maybe, you know, the mountain that he was pitching kind of led to his injury, but you don't need him pitching every single night too. Uh, hopefully, as the starters get stretched out a little more, uh, you, you kind of don't need that bridge guy as often. Uh, in terms of like an Austin Voth, a Wander Suero bridging between the starting pitcher and the back end of the bullpen, you can maybe go straight into a uh, Harris Hudson uh, hand uh, uh, for relievers, and, and so you can give guys like Sam Clay Finnegan uh, a break and Suero a break when he's fully reinstated sometime this week. So it works both ways too. It's not just affecting you know Hand and, and Hudson. It's affecting the rest of the guys, too, who have to pitch in their place uh, when they're not pitching. So I think that's something to keep in mind, too, when they move forward. It'll be interesting to see. And also game situations dictate it, right? So it'll be interesting to see when, you know, maybe the Nationals have a big lead tonight and you wouldn't typically bring in your reliever or your closer. Maybe they do go hand Hudson Harris in a late game spot when you typically wouldn't have to. Right. And, you know, Davey Martinez throughout the last few years has gotten a lot of criticism for mismanagement of the bullpen or riding his yeah. best relievers too hard and causing injuries um, and then uh, a big losing skid. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, obviously, he trusts Brad Hand, And I know he got a lot of criticism putting him in that game on Saturday with LeMahieu, Stanton and Judge up who typically crush. Uh, uh, lefties. Uh, but obviously this is a guy you can trust. I mean, this was the first blown save since 2019 for Brad Hand. So he has been incredibly reliable, obviously incredibly reliable this year so far in all of his outings. So I don't think you can criticize Davey Martinez there or putting him back out and trying to get that bad taste out of his mouth and regroup there. Um, but maybe you will see more. Maybe it is a matter of just pitching more um, and, and he can't be afraid to put him in other situations um, depending on how the rest of that bullpen shakes out. So I don't think you have to be too worried about that right now. And the rest of the bullpen has kind of done their job so far. They haven't been outstanding, but they've done their job so far this year. But the bullpen certainly something to keep an eye on because these last few games you saw, they had one run lead or just it was a one run game going into those late innings and, and the bullpen couldn't hold that. So it's something to keep an eye on, but obviously it's a trickle down effect of this offense and they have to be putting up more runs. So 
especially when you have your starting pitching. Like we talk so much about Max Scherzer. We have, they have to win on days that Max Scherzer is on the mound, especially when you have Steven Strasburg out and you have Eric Fetty pitching in their place, so on and so forth. Uh, and you certainly have to win when he pitches seven and a third or seven and two thirds with 14 Ks and only gives up one run on a home run. Um, they have to win on those days. And certainly there's no excuse for not winning in the offense, not coming up big and giving those guys more run support. Yeah, great segue because I was going to bring up that the one aspect that is helping the bullpen is deep starting pitching like Max Scherzer. And you're right. They have to win on the games that Max gives you an historic performance when he strikes out 14 over seven and two thirds. I think he had 10 through four already for his 100th career 10 plus strikeout game. Um, so, yeah, you have to turn those into wins. Not only do, you know, it'd be one thing if it was like a scoreless pitcher's duel. Uh, I think Corey Kluber was pitching really well for the Yankees that day too, but the Nationals had the lead when Max left the game, and that's a game you have to seal, uh, especially against a powerful lineup like the Yankees have uh, and a team that is trying to climb their own out of their own hole uh, from lower in their division standings. Uh, yeah, it, that was a real bummer. Look, those are going to happen. We've seen it obviously happen with Max before, um, you know, early in his career here in D.C., but typically you leave a Max Scherzer start and he comes out, uh, with 14 strikeouts and the lead, that's a W nine out of ten times. Saturday, it just wasn't the case. Uh, and look, he's been helping the bullpen so much. It's you know we talked about so much how this could possibly be not it for Max Scherzer, but this might be the last year where we can say this is Max Scherzer uh, to the fullest. I think he's proven us all wrong and be like he's got a lot left in the tank and he is ready to have a really strong year. He's got to be up there in terms of ERA across the board. Really, his only blips are when he gives up solo home runs. He's been pitching so well. And, you know, we've, we've heard him talk about he will give up the solo home run, right? That's not his concern. He doesn't want to give up base runners. Over his last two starts, 16 and a third innings, 23 strikeouts versus just one walk. Both of those are, are earned runs over those 16 and a third were solo home runs against the Marlins and the Yankees. So he's just been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, hopefully you get Steven Strasburg back within a week or so. Uh, you know, John Lester gets spread, stretched out a little more. You see Patrick Corbin turning in quality starts more. Joe Ross, I mean, he's, you know, being about what we expected to be. And, you know, you'll take that right now. Um, so hopefully that helps out this bullpen as well. But, you know, if we're talking about ups and downs, Max Scherzer, and for the most part, this starting rotation has definitely been an up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, Max Scherzer's, there's only four other pitchers in the history of baseball who have had 10 or more strikeouts in 100 games. So obviously, we know how great Max Scherzer is, and you can live with him giving up those solo home runs because it's really nothing hurt, and there's no excuse to lose games like that because your offense should be putting up more than one run uh, a game to win those games. So you can you can live with that, and you have to win those games where Max Scherzer or even guys like Joe Ross, like you saw it on Sunday, Joe Ross had a really good outing, um, and, and then they end up losing. And all of those games against the Yankees were winnable games. Not only did the Yankees get a slow start to the season, but they were right in these games, and they had great outings from their starting pitching. Um, it just they couldn't score enough runs to win the game. And that was the end of the story. And then you put your bullpen in bad situations. So hopefully something clicks. I mean, obviously, you're not everybody in your lineup is not going to produce on the same night. But you have to come up with some sort of equation here, the best lineup you can um, to, to, to produce runs. So hopefully we see a little bit of a change tonight. Um, and maybe they'll be able to get a little more production out of that lineup. But certainly the big guys in the middle of your lineup aren't coming aren't coming in clutch and they're coming up in big positions naturally um, and they have to do better. But the starting pitching has definitely been a positive note. Obviously another great outing for Max Scherzer and you're getting what you'd like to see out of Joe Ross, just like you said, just about what you kind of expected. Um, they're holding them right in games and their offense has to do something. Yeah, they definitely do. And, and I think the Nationals are sending two left-handers to finish out this series against the Phillies. I think it's John Lester today or tonight, and then Patrick Corbin will get the ball tomorrow against the Phillies. So hey, hopefully they get Bryce Harper out, right? I mean, he goes up there, hits a first-inning <laughs> long ball uh, in Nationals Park, and it's just you just kind of like palm to your forehead. It's like, come on. So hopefully the lefties can get out uh, Bryce Harper over the next couple of days. Um, 
Yeah, the further, uh, any more ups and downs? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy looking at. I, I want to throw up these this this graphic real quick because you know last week we were talking about how the Nats completely flipped the table in the NL East. Uh, they went from worst to first over the course of the week. You know, of course, no one was above five hundred. They were only twelve and twelve. So the graphic you're looking at now is as of May fourth, the last Tuesday. They were in first place by a half game over the Phillies and the Mets, um, and then. Just a week later, you know they're just right back at the bottom. Of course, losing six of seven is is going to do that. Uh, but they've only won one game since. You know, thirteen and eighteen. Uh, you know, the, the the Mets and the everyone kind of just shifted up because the Nats just kind of flipped and went right back to the bottom. And you know, this division, while we're all talking about how there's a lot of things to be fixed with this Nationals club, four and a half games back in in the middle of May isn't the worst thing. And we've seen how much this division can fluctuate so quickly, you know, early on in the season uh, because it hasn't been as uh, dominant as we originally thought heading into the season. There other te- look, Atlanta's under 500 in third place. People thought they would run away with the division um, and they're barely ahead of the Marlins and only two games ahead of, of the nationals. So it's not all bad again. Like I said, it's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. Uh, but you look at that, you see four and a half games back, but you consider the whole body of work. They can make that up within a week. You know, you win two games against the Phillies tonight, then you're within a, a game and a half of them uh, uh, heading into the weekend. So it could all change the, uh, you know, drop of a pin. But uh, I think that's something that's worth being said that the division is not what we expected it to be as of yet. Uh, and, and there's still plenty of time and room to work with for this club to climb back up the standings. Right. I mean, the ability to go from worst to first, back to worst in a little over a week just shows how close this division, how tight this race is uh, within the NL East. And, you know, you win a couple games. You talk so much about um, the importance of winning games in your division, and you're so right. You win these games, it can completely change the standings within a week, within a series. Uh, this is a tight division. Like you said, the Braves right there around 500, not what anybody expected at this point. And it's still early on in the season. They can still have time to work some things out. And the rest of the division isn't performing, um, perhaps to the Nationals' benefit, obviously. So winning these games within the division, it'll be important these next two games against the Phillies uh, to get wins. And that can really change the trajectory over the next month of these standings. Yeah, they're 5-8 and against the division right now. One and five against the Braves, of course. Three and zero thanks to the sweep over the Marlins. One and two against the Mets, and now just zero and one against the Phillies. So you win two more games. I mean, look, you need to take it series by series too. I was talking to my, even my, my dad over the weekend was like, "Hey, you need to bounce back from that Saturday night loss and, and just win the series. If you win series, you're taking two games out of three every single time. That's how you steadily climb up the standings and just hope the other teams kind of slip up every, here and there. So you take two. Against out of three against the Phillies, you can forget about Tuesday's loss. It doesn't really matter, and you you won two. You climb the standings, and now you're closer to 500 in the in uh, division play. So that helps them out a lot, I think, uh, moving forward. And you know, looking ahead to this, we talk about the schedule a lot. I love looking at the schedule, just kind of planning out. I know Davey likes to go one and zero each day. I like kind of planning out and like, well, if you win two here, you win two here. You know, you got three against the Diamondbacks who you split a four-game series at home. You know, this team should be better than that Diamondbacks team, so you would ideally win two more there. Four games against the Cubs, that's always a tough series in Chicago. Probably this time of year it can be super windy. Uh, But then you come home and you face the Orioles and the Reds. I mean, those two teams that are, again, teams you should definitely at least win two out of three. And the Brewers have been struggling. You get the Brewers right after that for this long homestand. So they could close out May on a high note. I hope they do. Uh, That makes our podcast a lot more interesting and more fun to talk about. Uh, but then it also on the flip side, you know, if they struggle through this, it makes it all that much more frustrating because these, again, these are teams that they should be beating. Yeah, you're right. There's definitely winnable games, obviously, uh, but it's so hard to predict with the way that this Nationals um, offense is going right now, putting up 11 runs the next day, not being able to pull out that win with an outstanding uh, uh, matchers or performance. So it's really hard to predict at this point, uh, but they need to win games and they need to win games within their division. Um, that's going to be really, really important. Uh, we're getting some comments. Keith Limbo says less bell and more Zim. I kind of I agree with you, Keith. Uh, Chad Brinkman asks, when is the trade deadline and will the Nats be buyers or sellers? And it's kind of how they finish out May head into June is going to be really important because the way the Nationals started the season, it's like maybe they will be big sellers at the deadline. Uh, it's so hard to tell at this point. Um, and that's why winning these games 
uh, winning games in the division coming up soon is going to be really important. I don't imagine they'll get to the trade deadline and punt the season if they're still right in it. And this division is still kind of, you know, rate tight the way it is right now. But it, it's hard to tell and definitely possible, especially if you're looking at last season. Yeah, I don't like talking about the trade deadline before Memorial Day, even maybe even before middle of June. It's just too early to tell. Right, you can't tell. You yeah. have no, really no idea at this point. Um, but that's why this next stretch is important. Yeah, 2019 is a perfect example because I remember, you know, this was back when Paul Mancano and I were doing both podcasts for Mass and on the Nats and Orioles side. And around this time, you know, of course, obviously 1931, we were talking about should they be selling? And, of course, look what happened. They ended up winning the World Series. That's a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime shot, though, uh, and a comeback for a team. But, you know, point still stands. I, I just don't like talking about the trade deadline. We're hearing, we're hearing Max, Trey Max Scherzer talk, you know, Three weeks ago. I mean, that was way too early. Let's let's right. all pump the before brakes. the season even started. I know. It's like, come on, guys. Let's let's play some games first. Let's at least get you know a third into the season. So that's a topic we can definitely revisit as we get maybe a month from now. Uh, definitely past Memorial Day weekend. Maybe even closer to July because uh, we might have a better idea of where this team stands. And look, they don't have all their pieces yet. Still, you know, hopefully Steven Strasburg comes back, and if he comes out and tears it up, and him and Max, you know, are the best one-two punch in the National League. You know, we maybe we're completely forgetting about the trade max talk and we're saying, hey, let's go win this division and, and, and this team can turn it around. Um, other positives to take away real quick, too. I, I was listening to Mike Rizzo on his weekly radio appointment this morning. You know, he also mentions, you know, this team has the numbers wise the best defense in the in, in, in all of baseball, which is which is really good. A big jump from what happened last year. We saw their defense uh, not uh, be up to snuff. Uh, and then also their bullpen, we, we, we went in depth with the bullpen right there. But, you know, obviously a tough weekend, but they still have the third best bullpen in baseball as well. So in terms of ERA, so lots to look forward to. I mean, it's not all negative. We don't mean to be negative on the podcast. Uh, it's just, you know, when you're, what is it, five games under 500, uh, you're trying to find some positives. And there are some. And, and hopefully, like you said, you win two more against the Phillies, go to Arizona, Chicago, win a couple more, and you're right back in the mix of things. Um, more comments right now. Um, I saw trade for story again. We're not talking about the trade deadline right now, even though Trevor Story being on the trade de- uh, trade block is is, is pretty interesting. Uh, what will Fetty's role be when Strasburg comes back? That's also from Chad. Uh, interesting question. I, I I would imagine move back to the bullpen, and him and Austin Voth would be back to that kind of long man emergency starter role. Austin Voth has been terrific out of the bullpen, by the way. Something we didn't talk about today. Oh, and talking about the relievers, but. You know, Fatty's pitched admirably in that spot in the rotation. I, I think we'll see him move more back uh, to that kind of long man emergency relief, emergency start type of guy because uh, we know that Davey Martinez likes having him in his back pocket when he needs him. Yeah, you're right. He's definitely not a contender uh, to be a mix in this rotation right now, but he could be a really key piece in that bullpen, be a long man just like both has done. Both has done a really good job, and obviously Eric Fetty has done a really good job uh, making those key starts, but certainly move back to the bullpen, be the longer guy out of the bullpen, um, and the Nationals might find some success, especially after you know they're making some moves in the bullpen. They're switching things around, maybe going to try some new stuff. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see. Um, and who knows what Steven Strasburg is going to be like when he comes back. Uh, so it'll be interesting to follow. Uh, but I think it'll go back to the original plan for the season, him in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, well, that's kind of wrapping up the talk about the team as it stands right now. But there were some, of course, Nationals news uh, relating to the team yesterday. That was Jordan Zimmerman announcing his retirement, the the great Jordan Zimmerman, who, of course, had seven fantastic years here in D.C. Um, you know, it, it's, it was tough. I, I, I wasn't on the uh, call for, the, like, the live portion of it as it was happening, but I watched it back afterwards. And, you know, you could just see it in his eyes, Amy. This guy was, was pretty upset that he had to retire, that he had to come to his decision you know, you could just, he said, you know, his mind was still in it, but his body wasn't. And, you know, we see this a couple of times with players, their bodies just kind of break down, even though that they're, you know, he's only, he's going to be 35 at the end of the month. So he's not that old. Right. And, uh, you know, he could still have a couple of years left, but his body is just kind of breaking down and not allowing him to continue. So it's kind of heartbreaking, but he did have a great career here with the nationals. Um, it was fun looking back at all the nice things people said about Jordan Zimmerman yesterday as he announced his retirement. 
Yeah, I mean, that's really sad to see when a guy wants to keep playing, but the body's just not cooperating. And it happens, it especially happens with pitchers. Uh, you see it a lot. Um, so sad to see that happen. But obviously, it's some great years. And the good thing for Nats fans is they really got to see the best, obviously, after um, he left the Nationals, his career uh, kind of crumbled. But from 2012 to 2015, he went 58 and 32 with a 3.13 ERA with the Nationals. And we kind of were so right now, obviously, all we're thinking about is is Scherzer Strauss, Scherzer Strauss. And we kind of remember the days when it was Zimmerman Strauss uh, there for a stretch in the early years of this this organization. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, people forget about it how, because I think it's twofold. Like one, it was a long time ago. I mean, he last pitched for the Nationals in 2015. And then two, you know, ever since then in his career, his stops in Detroit and then finishing it up in Milwaukee, his hometown team, you know, he just wasn't the pitcher that we saw in D.C. I mean, he was a two-time All-Star. He finished top five in the Cy Young votings both of those seasons as well. Of course, make that stellar start uh, in Game 2 of the National League Division Series back in 2014. You know, we'll never know what would have happened if he was able to complete the game. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't come with the draft hype that obviously Steven Strasburg did, and he didn't come – uh, with the, you know, over via free agency with a free agent and a massive contract like Max Scherzer did. So he was always kind of maybe not the forgotten man, but you, you look back at those rotations where it was him, Strauss, Max, uh, even that one year with Doug Fister and Geo. you know, people kind of slotted Jordan Zimmer, even though he was like the number three pitcher in that rotation, he was always kind of the last afterthought because he was a quiet dude. And, and you know, he didn't come from, you know, a top-ranked program. He was a Division three player in in Wisconsin, and then he, you know, ended up getting drafted and, and making the major league. So that's something he said he was most proud of. We'll hear from him in just a bit. But, you know, he just never came with that flair that other guys have come here with, but he was no less productive. I mean, he just issued 1.92 walks per nine outings during his major league career. He was always the guy that, you know, he would never put guys on base um, and he was a bulldog. He, he pitched a bunch of innings, guy you could count on. He made, I think, well, at least 32 starts over his last four seasons with the Nationals since he became a full-time starter. So he was a guy you could count on every single fifth, every fifth day. Uh, when it was his turn, he would be out there. Um, and, yeah, you know, the ERA looking for when he was a, with the Tigers and Brewers jumping to 5-6-6 six, six in 100 games. Um, you know, it was a tough way for him to end the season, but we'll always have the no-hitter. Um, that he threw on the last day of the regular season back in 2014. That was a special day, of course, the first one in Nationals history as we watch the highlights right now, uh, if you're watching with us on, on Facebook and YouTube. But tip of the cap to Jordan Zimmerman, a great career, especially here in D.C. Uh, you know, it would be great to see him back at Nationals Park and get a standing ovation from the hometown crowd because he was fantastic here uh, with his time at the Nationals. Right. Just such a likable guy. Just like you mentioned, I mean, he worked his way up, battled and really earned a spot they deserved. Um, and that's what makes him so likable. Uh, and then, of course, having some great outings for the Nationals. Uh, so it's sad to see his, his career kind of fall off the way it did. But obviously some great, great years there with the Nationals. And you kind of forget. I mean, when I think of him, I just think of the, the no hitter right in 2014. And I kind of forget that he came out in the NLDS pitched eight and two thirds, issued a walk, they took him out. And now, you know, I was going through all of that and I remember it now, but I feel like that kind of gets overlooked because of the way that game went. Uh, and it's just that no hitter that that stands out. But, and like you mentioned, just consistent and reliable. I mean, one of the the things obviously came up with around the time that Steven Strasburg did and Steven Strasburg was the one getting all the attention. Uh, but in their years with the Nationals, I mean, obviously Steven Strasburg's Seasons have been plagued with a lot of injuries, and you had Jordan Zimmerman, who you knew you could count on to go out there and make his starts um, every fifth day. So obviously a great career with the Nationals. Uh, congratulations to him in his retirement, um, and it will be interesting to see him, or exciting to see him back in Matt's Park uh, and get that ovation that he deserves for his time there. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I'm just looking at his numbers too, real quick on the screen. Of course, the seven seasons, but he went 70 and 50. So basically, you were getting a W from him every. You know, every two out of every three times he went out, uh, a solid ERA of 332, uh, closing in on over 900 strikeouts, closing in on a thousand uh, over seven seasons with DC. So, you know, a great career. Um, I I was always bummed when he went to Detroit and then he just could not get it together. I mean, he had a couple of good outings. People also forget, and then they mentioned it on the broadcast yesterday because it was actually the the anniversary of this game when Max Scherzer 
struck out 20 Tigers against his former team. Jordan Zimmerman was the opposing starting pitcher. Uh, he started that game for the Tigers, which is pretty crazy. And that anniversary was yesterday, May 11th. So, um, you know, weirdly enough, even when he wasn't here, still had ties to the organization uh, in some important moments. Um, but yeah, I mean, he didn't say, I don't know if this made the cut that I uh, I, I cut for, for the podcast, the sound clip, uh, but he did say he wasn't sure what's going to be next for him. Uh, but I could totally see... You know, if you wanted it to, a pitching coach opportunity for him and somewhere. I mean, he just has that kind of pitching mindset, it looked like. I mean, he even said his mind wasn't ready to go yet. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a dugout somewhere as someone's pitching coach, whether that's in the major leagues, minor leagues, local high school team, something, because it seemed like he's, he still really wanted to play. He just physically couldn't. Right. That, that would be really awesome to see just because he's so, I mean, he's, thoughtful and serious and kind of, you know, I, I could totally see him uh, ending up being, being a pitching coach. And just like you said, if his mind's in it and it's just not his body cooperating, then that's a great way to stay, stay in the game. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's hear from him right real quick before we get out of here. He did talk to the media yesterday, um, a very tearful, emotional press conference. Uh, they actually had to cut it short, uh, near the end because he was choking up and, and, and crying so much. He was, you know, you could just tell he really came, didn't want him to have to come to this decision, but it was probably best for him and his family. Um, but here is Jordan Zimmerman discussing his decision to retire and his reflecting on his time with the Nationals uh, here in D.C. First off, obviously, you know, I'm here to announce my retirement. Um, and I'd like to thank the, the Washington Nationals, Detroit Tigers, and obviously the Milwaukee Brewers for, you know, giving me the opportunity to be able to throw the uniform on. Um, I just felt like, you know, after 15 years of, of, you know, playing ball and my mind was still in it, but my body wasn't. And, uh, you know, living out of suitcases half the year. So um, I felt like it was the right thing to do at this, this time to, um, you know, call it a career. And, you know, I'm, happy to start the next next chapter of my life i guess the thing that stands out the most would be the the no hitter in dc um that's that was a pretty pretty cool thing and a, a pretty pretty big accomplishment um you know obviously making the playoffs a few times with dc was was also great but um definitely the no hitter Jordan, um i was wondering on the subject of that no hitter now that you and Yelly were in the same uniform, you guys ever talk about that? And they just showed on the MOB network, you, your head went down. You did not think that ball was going to be caught originally. Have you and Yelly talked about that? Yeah, we, we brought it up a few times. Um, just, just in conversation, I guess. And, and, you know, I knew they was, he was the you know toughest hitter in that lineup to get out. And, um, and obviously it came down to, to him at the end and, it was a great, great play by Souza, and and uh, you know, I thought it was in the in the gap for a double. That's why you could see my reaction as the way it was, and um, you know, I I thought it was for sure double, and I'd be coming out of the game, but you know, he made a great play, and it was something I'll never forget. I know it's been a while since you've been here in DC, but as you look back on it all, will you sort of think of this that time, your first seven years here, as, as sort of defining your career and um, will you kind of associate yourself with the nationals, you know, for a long time, as you think back on your career? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first six or seven years or whatever I was there, um, you know, I kind of put me on the map and, and got my career going. Um, and I remember getting there the first couple of years, we were losing a hundred games and to be able to, you know, turn that around and have some winning ball clubs and go to the playoffs a few times is, is, uh, something I'll never forget. Wanted to ask what you're, uh, what you're proudest of, like you were asked what your favorite moment was. And obviously the, you know, the no hitter probably was a fairly easy answer for you. What, what are you proudest of in, in the course of your baseball career? I guess my proudest thing would be, you know, I was a small town kid, went to division three school and made it to the big leagues. Um, you know, that's tough to do. So it was, uh, that's probably, that's probably the biggest thing. How, uh, how many of the guys from, from D.C. do you still keep in touch with today? Are there still guys that you, you exchange texts with and, uh, and have, you know, stayed friends with over the years? Yeah, Stammen, Clippard. I text Zim every once in a while. Desi texts me today. So, 
Um, here's, here's a handful of guys I still talk with. Big thanks to the Brewers PR staff for that audio and video uh, right there of Jordan Zimmerman announcing his retirement. I think it's really cool. Something we didn't talk, talk about just yet, Amy, is that he's able to retire as a Brewer, you know, his hometown team. Uh, he didn't able, wasn't able to pitch too long with them, but, uh, you know, he at least got the jersey, made an appearance, and uh, I think that's pretty special for a small-town kid like him. Right. I really didn't even realize there for a little bit that they had signed him to a minor league deal or a minor league contract. So that's that's exciting for him um, in a, a positive note to the end of yeah. a, a good career. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, he even said in the beginning, I don't I, I like he was planning on retiring this year. Like he thought over the winter that this was going to be it anyways. And then he got a call from the Brewers and it was like, hey, do you want to come to spring training? So he said, OK. Um, and then he didn't make the team. So he was like, all right, now I'll call it quits. And he went home and it was relaxing. And then the Brewers called him again and was like, hey, we need you. I uh, went back and I think he made two or three appearances for the Brewers out of the bullpen uh, this year. Didn't make a start, but made a couple appearances. So he at least has that underneath his belt, uh, which is pretty cool from a Wisconsin kid uh, to play for his hometown team. And like I said, he got, he got really choked up. You, know, you could tell it's a guy who didn't want to retire right now, but Probably just best for him to do so. And hopefully we'll see Jordan Zimmerman at a ballpark again sometime soon, especially once, you know, restrictions are let go and we're all able to be uh, joined together at Nationals Park, which, Amy, we didn't talk about, will be soon. Uh, June 11th, I think, was the day that D.C. said Nats Park can return to full capacity. Uh, when they return home from this road trip next Friday against the Orioles, the 21st, they'll be bumped up to, I think, 35% capacity at Nationals Park, which is exciting news. Right. That's going to be awesome. I mean, more fans in the stands, not just for the team, but for the entire atmosphere is awesome. And I'm sure slowly, probably not right away, they're going to get a ton of fans right there. Um, but I'm sure slowly but surely they're going to they're going to be able to fill that ballpark. And that's awesome. And maybe that's what the Nationals need. Maybe they need more fans in those stands. Uh, maybe that'll give them their boost. But it's fun to see across baseball these teams getting to that 85% threshold, um, you know, cities, vaccines are more available. It's really exciting to see um, and certainly good for baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we know how much it affected them last year to have no fans in the stands. So hopefully a couple more uh, over the next homestand will be even more rejuvenating for this team. Uh, so looking forward to that. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. We want to thank you all so much for tuning in and commenting along. Great comments, as usual, on the Facebook and page and YouTube channel. So we really appreciate it. Be sure to give Amy a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News uh, for all of her content and tweets throughout the day. Maybe you'll see some 3 a.m. help SOS tweets uh, for her car. Hopefully not, but maybe you will. Um, <laughs> Hopefully not, but somebody <laughs> come save me if I do. <laughs> you never forget the one time I had to drive all the way to Baltimore to help our uh, former intern Katie get out of the warehouse uh, at our studio. Uh, so I'll, I'll do it for you too. If your car breaks down, let me know, Amy. I'll, I'm happy that's to help. A, that's a true friend and a true <laughs> co-host right there, guys. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. Looking forward to next week and uh, we'll talk to you then. All right. See ya. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and Alexis podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find the Mass and Alexis podcast. And hit notifications on Mass and National's Facebook page, YouTube channel, and on Twitter to get notifications when we go live every single week. You can also check out my series recaps, only audio for uh, all of the uh, recapping of every series throughout the course of this season. Next episode should drop Friday night uh, after a day game against the Phillies and looking forward to a weekend series against the Diamondbacks. I'm Bobby Blanco at Bobby underscore Blanco for me on Twitter. Give me a follow if you would like. And uh, that's going to do it for this week. Be, be sure to stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, get down to the ballpark if you have the opportunity. And uh, maybe we'll see you next homestand or at least in June when uh, the attendance grows up until then. Until then, everyone, enjoy the game. Uh, have fun. And uh, we'll see you later.